Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. It is time now for Eurowatch, where we take a look at headlines coming out of Europe. We've got a few issues to look at from the UK government making a dramatic U-turn and reversing plans to cut the country's highest rate of income tax to EU's finance ministers agreeing to integrate their support payments to Ukraine into the 2023 budget. Let's get some analysis on these headlines. On the line with me this morning is Trisha Craig, Vice President Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Science, Sociology and political science at Yale and U.S. College. Good morning, Tricia. Good to have you back. Good morning, Elliot. It's great to be here. There is no good way these days to do a U-turn. Once you say it, it's out there. The UK government reversing (laughs) plans to cut the country's highest rate of income tax. This is uh, quite the U-turn. Why did they decide to do this? And from your perspective, uh, does this really need to be done, especially with all the hype? So I think Liz Truss had absolutely no alternative than to do the uh, than to do the U-turn. She came in with plans to unleash growth. Part of that was cutting the marginal tax rate at the top, and it was clear that the party just could not sell this. There were defections within her own party. You know, people in uh, MPs going around talking about how this was a, a mistake, and this is you know less than a month into her uh, premiership. So it might have lost in the House of Commons, which would have been an even bigger disaster for her leadership. But there are two big problems. Uh, the party less than a month in has dropped massively in the polls. YouGov, one of the really good polling groups out of the UK, shows that Labour has, the opposition party Labour, has opened a stunning 33-point lead in the polls. And a few days ago, 40, uh, 54% of people said they would vote for Labour compared to 21% of uh, Liz Truss's party, the Conservatives. So this this is a this is a big issue. And and then the other problem, of course, is the markets. Yeah. Last week, the British pound plunged to almost parity with the dollar. That's unheard of. Just a massive, massive sell off of sterling. It and it did recover a bit after she announced the U turn. I sympathize with it in this sense, but you know, other professors that I've spoken to have also pointed out that you can't do this and expect economic growth because it just doesn't happen. So then, as far as popularity is concerned, and I guess I asked this simply because. Because it is the UK we're talking about here. What does it mean for her future as PM? The honeymoon period is definitely gone. Definitely over. Uh, This has been a super rough start to her premiership. Uh, It's not just the pounding I think she's been getting from the opposition, but within the party. This week, the Conservatives had their annual party conference in Birmingham, and it was really a nightmare for her. The opposition within the party has been laid bare. People talked about a coup going on. So she's really going to have to regain the trust of her party. And if they see this continual weakness in the polls, if they think she's going to be a liability uh, in the elections, which has to happen by 2025, she will be in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. There's always the issue of debt as well when they look at such things. I mean, the UK Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng is set to celebrate the publication of his plan to cut the UK's debt. Talking about the urgency with regard to this... It's a difficult balance when you look at the sensitivity of the issue and coming so soon after the country's so-called mini budget. What are your thoughts on this? So just like the U-turn that Liz Truss made, he had to shift his plans for presenting the regular budget. He had been planning on putting this out at the end of November, Mm. but it became clear that this was just no longer tenable. Besides the drop in sterling, one of the things that happened last week was the government had to intervene in the bond market. One market reaction was the price of government bonds 
um, plummeted, which raised the rates. So that meant that the cost of borrowing went way up. Things like the pension plans were starting to struggle with these higher costs. And, you know, you had this stunning situation of the Bank of England had to step in with a $65 billion pound um, buyback to stabilize the bond market. So waiting until November, uh, the end of November, as he had been planning, I think would have further roiled the markets. And so this was really necessary. Yeah, I remember to bring, that. To bring up the yeah, to bring up the discussion. That piece also kind of in line with the the multiple U-turns that have been going on. <laughs> what do we expect from his upcoming plans, though? I think what we're going to want to see is. Do they persist in this notion of unfunded tax cuts? That's really what's worrying both markets and voters, right? Markets are concerned that this shortfall in tax revenue, right? Mm -hmm. They had all these plans to cut taxes and things, but no one said where the money was going to come from to pay for everything else the government needs to pay for. Clearly, the market, and as you mentioned, the professors that you're talking to, the the establishment uh, economists, don't believe that yeah. growth is going to kick in. Nobody believes that yeah. you know, the UK is going to hit a 2.5% growth rate. So then the question is, where's the shortfall uh, going to get paid for? And it seems like it will get paid for with cuts to public spending, things like services, mm. infrastructure. And this is only going to deepen the Tories' prospects going into the next election. So we want to see some some kind of recognition of how is this getting paid for in the in the budget that he presents? Okay, Trisha, let's turn our attention to the EU, where according to European Commission Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis, the EU's finance ministers have agreed to integrate the EU's support payments to Ukraine into its 2023 budget. So we're looking at, what, 9 billion euros already, I believe, since May, but they made the first disbursement of 1 billion euros only in July. So when we talk about this this support budget, what should we pay attention to here? And and especially, you know, how soon these so-called payouts will happen. Yeah, so by putting this money into the budget right now, what the EU is doing is making sure that the money will go out predictably. And this has been a source of tremendous frustration for the Ukrainian government. They need that money to pay. This is money that really supports the functioning of the government, right? The mm-hmm. money is needed to pay for things like civil servant salaries, pensioners, teachers, basically to carry out the functions of government. Um, so this year, as you mentioned, $9 billion has been agreed to, but they haven't gotten it. So what Dombrowski, the EU trade minister, said was the next tranche of €5 billion Euros is going to come in the middle of this month. And then the final $3 billion, adding up to the total of nine, would be done in two payments, one in November, one in December. So with that, presumably, this will help the Ukrainians sort of manage the outflow in a uh, systematic way. Okay. It certainly establishes even closer links or or tighter links between the 27-nation bloc and the Ukraine. I can't help it. As we talk about this, I got to ask, the odds of the Ukraine being invited to join the EU or it even happening amidst all of this conflict? You know, right now, I think that invita- I mean, the invitation is there. Yeah. Um, it is a long road, though, to uh, to actual integration into the EU. I think this is a measure to um, to just support for the Ukrainians. Okay. Okay. But there's but there's still you know there's still a lot budget wise that's that's going to be on the table, and that is not at all clear at this moment. Mm. So I guess we should just look at it as somewhat similar to what U.S. President Joe Biden is doing with regard to helping out the Ukraine financially as well. Yeah. All right. Trisha, the EU and Israel holding high-level talks for the first time in 10 years. What can you tell us about this? What are some highlights? 
Okay, so this is going to be an association council meeting. This okay. is uh, an association agreement the EU and um, the and Israel signed in 2000. Those meetings were supposed to happen every year, but the last one was in 2012. Recently, though, the Israeli Prime Minister, uh, Lapid, gave a speech to the UN where he talked about an agreement with the Palestinians based on mm. two states, right? So a two-state solution. And that seems to have been the opening for the EU to kind of bring back these talks. What they want to see is a resumption of a political process that can lead to a two-state solution, comprehensive regional peace. I think there are other areas where Israel and the EU will continue to disagree, like restarting the 2015 uh, Iranian yeah. uh, nuclear deal. Yeah. Um, but in these talks, the focus is going to be on the situation in the Palestinian territories. All right. I've been speaking with Trisha Craig, who is a vice president engagement and senior lecturer of social sciences, sociology and political science at Yale and U.S. College. Trisha, I appreciate your time as always. Take care and have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.